everybody, and welcome to Verses from the Void, your twice-monthly foray into the world of horror poetry. On today's episode, I have Donna Lynch. Uh, Donna is a two-time Brand Stoker Award-nominated dark fiction writer, spoken word artist, and the co-founder, along with her husband, artist and musician Stephen Archer, of the dark electro-rock band Ego Likeness from Metropolis Records. An active member of the Horror Writers Association, her published works include Isabel Burning, Red Horses, Driving Through the Desert, and the poetry collections In My Mouth, Ladies and Other Vicious Creatures, Daughters of Lilith, Witches, and the Ladies of Horror Fiction Award-winning Choking Back the Devil, among others, which includes the soon-to-be-released and will have already been released by the time this airs, uh, Girls from the County. Uh, in Mi'kmaq, we like to say Jalasi, which means welcome, come in and sit down. So Jalasi listeners and Jalasi Donna, how are you? Hi, good. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Um, yeah, so you do a lot of different things. <laughs> it's always great to see that because um, it gives me the opportunity to ask about like, well, I'm intrigued, I guess, from the top about any kind of overlap that exists between your poetry writing process and your spoken word. Would you mind talking about that a bit? Yeah, sure. I, um, you know, the other thing that fits in there is uh, lyrics because I'm the lyricist for uh, ego likeness as well. So um, it's, you know, it all comes from the same source, basically. I, um, you know, I just, I, I think we started doing spoken word years ago. Um, my partner, Stephen, and I had a project um, called the Trinity Project, and it was experimental. Um, and then I did a lot of um, writing for it. And would just go and we perform and I would just speak over this ambient experimental music. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that. So um, when it came, you know, to writing poetry and wanting to get out there and do readings um, and the more I performed on stage, the better I got at doing the readings and, you know, just everything definitely feeds into each other with that. Um, and also writing, you know, poetry and writing lyrics is very sim like for me it's almost the same thing um you know because you're just taking these larger ideas and distilling them into small chunks yeah so do you find that like how poems sound kind of comes naturally to you even when you're not doing consciously spoken word or lyric writing yeah i um i Definitely. There's um, there's a lot of even when you're not doing um, rhyme scheme poetry, there's still a lyricism that happens, I think. And I don't always know how to put my finger on it. I just know when something sounds right or when it doesn't. So I kind of just go with that gut instinct. Yeah, oh, I'm so envious of musicians. <laughs> I'm not a natural musician at all. I've tried to play a couple of instruments. So to me, when I try to write poetry, if I was trying to write lyrics, which I've tried to do a few different times it doesn't quite cohere for me so i'm i'm so happy for people that can go between both because i'm like for some reason it just doesn't hit right <laughs> but people that know how to do it know how to do it <laughs> yeah well i mean there is i mean there is something you can learn with that and i don't think you have to be musical to do it it just helps i mean that's you know that's my thinking on it i know plenty of poets who you know can't carry a tune and are not very musical. <laughs> it's not a criticism. I'm just saying. Um, you know, so I don't think it is a necessity. It's just definitely helpful. But you know, there's um, there's just a lot to be said for you know, even when you're reading aloud, you know when something um, sounds right. I you, there's a thing that I see a lot of times when people are just starting out with poetry and they're really really desperate to rhyme, which is great. I mean, I, I love poetry that rhymes and I do a mix of that in my own work but um you know you can hear it when they're forcing those syllables in and it's I don't think you have to have a musical ear to hear that it's it's like you can kind of hear when things are getting tripped up a little bit um you know and I think that's a starting point when you're writing is to try to listen for those places where you're tripping up as you're reading it or reading and not having a place to take a breath you know, yeah. things that it's, it's, if you pay attention to those little details, it can be helpful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's a great tip for writing in general is like reading it aloud to see what's working and what is not. And <laughs> sometimes 
it cannot work intentionally. Um, but I guess what we don't want is for it to not work unintentionally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a kind of related question is, um, I see here that like you're a pretty prolific horror poetry writer. Um, how has your relationship with it kind of developed over time across different collections? I I think I really went into writing intending to um, do, you know, to write novels and novellas and things like that. And I, I tried my hand at it and, you know, it's, it's really hard. Um, <laughs> but yeah. It's always, you know, I was always writing poetry. I was writing poetry when I was you know, 13 years old. So that was a very natural thing that I did. And it was always there. And it was always something I was doing. Um, and then I tried to, you know, branch out and do some other things. And, you know, it was it was all right. I don't hate my first novel. I think it's a perfectly good first novel. Um nice. I'm very proud of my first novella still to this day. I, I think it's a really good story. Um, but the, you know, when I, the more I started getting my name out there and it was for the band and then it was for um, collaborations I was doing with my partner and it was poetry related, you know, it just came so natural. So, and it was suddenly people were, paying more and more attention to that. So that's where I shifted my focus because, you know, why wouldn't you go with your strong suit, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially since it's still a fairly niche genre, it seems like it's kind of expanding a little more, but um, getting in on the ground, it, you know, um, I think it's exciting. <laughs> you know, It's always so interesting to me to think that people, um, you know, view this and, and you're not wrong by saying it's a niche genre, but it's, I mean, this is where so much of horror literature started. I mean, with Edgar Allan Poe, I mean, it was poetry, like, you know, I mean, yes, of course he wrote stories, but there has always been horror poetry. And I think we forget, I think we disconnect from that a little bit. And we don't think about there being that many modern horror poets. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of us and yeah. it's, you know, it's and it is nice that there is sort of a you know, I don't like to look at it as a, a new spotlight on it. It's more of a, a you know, resurgence, basically. Um, you know, it's just been a long time in the making, but <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> we never yeah. really went. We were always here. We never went away. But now people are definitely paying attention and taking it more seriously, which is wonderful. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, Part of my goal in starting this podcast is to like maybe reach out to people who are not already fans of horror poetry so that they can see what it's about. Because I I hope that someday when I tell people that I write horror poetry and that I'm a fan of horror poetry, they won't be like, that's a thing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I've heard it so many times. And and I think poetry scares people off a little bit. They just I the number of times somebody has said to me. I don't really know poetry. I don't know how to read poetry. I'm not into po and it's like, okay, well, you know, let's, you know, let's start with something simple here. Like it's really not that I think they think it's going to be so much more complicated and cerebral than it needs to be. Like you have to think abstractly and, and that all is true. I mean, with, with some things, but um, I don't think a lot of people realize that there are people out there telling these really, really great dark stories and it's done in a really simple way and a really beautiful and elegant way and it's being done through poetry mm -hmm. absolutely and yeah it's it's my hope that people will shy away from it less um mm -hmm. because i i think that also like there's this tendency when things are very extreme and intense that people want to turn to poetry and we're living in very extreme and intense times. So I hope that maybe that'll drive people to embrace it a little more and it might help them find some solace or understanding in what's going on in the world. I think so. I mean, I think it's a really uh, vital um, tool to get through things like that. And also, you know, one of the things that's been happening with a lot of people I know, myself included, the past few years, you know, I don't know about you, but my attention span is wrecked. I have, mm -hmm. I cannot focus I can't it is so difficult to keep my head on straight and especially since I had COVID already and 
I swear it's just messed up my head a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes reading, finding, um, mediums that are a little more, you know, bite-sized can be helpful. I'm having a really hard time reading actual books right now, but poetry, not, not so hard because I can do a little bit and I can, you know, focus on that and then give my brain a break. Yeah, it's, it's nice. You can just like take a moment to sit with it and you can proceed to the next one or you can just let that be mm-hmm. what you engaged with. And yeah, exactly. it's still, yeah, firing on those imaginative cylinders. It's nice. Um, so the poems that you're reading today are from your new collection. Um, mm-hmm. And when I was reading what you sent for today, I definitely sensed some themes emerging. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the collection and what your inspiration was in writing it? Yeah, um, so Girls from the County um, is a, uh, you know, it's sort of like a recounting of stories. Um, You know, in the foreword of it, I I mentioned that everything in it is true. And by that, I mean, it is everything that my friends and I went through when we were preteens and teenagers growing up in the, um, you know, late 80s, early 90s in these suburban and rural areas. Um, We, you know, where I grew up, we were always told that the city was a scary place and, you know, you didn't want to travel too far. Everything out in the world was scary and would kill you. And, you know, without ever paying attention to what was going on in in our backyards. And, And that is such a ubiquitous experience that I found, you know, friends that I've made later in life you know, that grew up in areas like that. We just, we've all have the same stories. And I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, these are also the same stories that are like modern folklore. I mean, when you look at actual, you know, folklore from hundreds of years ago, you know, these, these young girls are still in the same kind of peril. And when you look at a lot of true crime, these women are in the same, you know, young women are in the same kind of peril. So, you know, it's just this, this theme sort of developed and a lot of personal things going on, but a lot of it was just also um, nostalgia and just thinking back to those days and how, how much crap we put up with because we didn't know where else we could go. You know, it was, you're, you're a little isolated um, when you're in these small towns. So, um, so yeah, it was just, you know, I, I took all the bits and pieces from stories from my past and my friends past and folklore and, you know, true crime and sort of weaved them all together into these pieces. That's amazing. I can't wait to read the whole collection. (laughs) Um, It reminds me of this post that I saw before. I forget who said it and exactly the wording, but it was like, do you ever fully recover from having been a teenage girl? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) Perfect. That is really perfect. Yeah. Something you just carry with you forever. And it's interesting. Yeah. Just the intensity and the menace that's there. And it's, yeah, like you said, not always what you're warned about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird that it's such an archetypal journey for young women like you would think that over centuries something would change well you would think right no (laughs) (laughs) you would hope and yet (laughs) it's never too late you know maybe i i am a big believer in wanting the world to be a better place for you know the next generation so i think you know i think all we can do is is try and all we can do is put things out into the world and talk about this stuff and open it up because you know that was a thing for all of us back then is there was so many terrible things going on, you know, and it's not that the onus was on us to stop them, but we didn't know. And, you know, things were happening to our friends that we didn't even know about. Things were happening to us that our family, you know, our parents didn't know about, or, you know, it just, nobody wanted to talk about it. So, you know, and that's just a thing that lends to it becoming a, you know, endemic situation absolutely that's a good note i think to pivot to the exodus of us just the first one we'll be reading today yes go ahead whenever you're ready it didn't matter if we stayed or ran or ran around and back again we took the witches in the woods 
the dirt roads and devils, and the marks they left upon us everywhere we went. We could spot each other in the wild, our dirty knees and nails, the scent of moss and feral creatures, underneath the oils and perfumes. And three long decades later, most of us have learned that the addresses don't matter. Most of us have seen that the exits are plentiful and clear. And it doesn't matter if we stay or run or run around and back again. We are part of this old landscape, just like we've always been. Thank you so much. So in this poem, you anonymize the poetic voice. So the reader doesn't necessarily get a clear or concrete sense of who or what is speaking um, to this experience of transmutation with the natural and supernatural. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that choice? Um, you know, I don't even know if it was a choice so much. I think that there is a, um, I think that there is a narrator throughout this book, throughout this collection, that vacillates between me um, and then, you know, something a little more detached. Um, that is, you know, more doing like a straight up narration. And there are places where it does feel very supernatural where I do feel like I'm writing from the POV of a, of an entity. Um, and, you know, depending on the piece that entity might have more of a, uh, a specific name or identity. Um, or sometimes it's just this sort of, you know, nebulous voice just telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually related to my next question, which is about like, your use of the natural, like it's so interesting to me that there's like witches and woods and dirt roads and devils, and then there's the moss and feral creatures underneath the oils and perfumes. So there's like a tension of what we think of as civilization and these like liminal spaces in the natural world. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, that was just such a part of my teenage years, you know, I mean, like, like most weird girls, I, you know, started studying Wicca and, you know, definitely, definitely wanted to be a witch, whatever that meant back then. <laughs> um, but, you know, I grew up in the woods and most of my friends grew up in the woods. So this is, you know, we, we weren't out way in the middle of nowhere. We were definitely on the edges of suburbia is pretty much where we were. Um, so we had access to wilderness, but we also had access to civilization um, but the, you know, that was just where, when I think back to my teenage years, like so much of it is spent outside in the woods. And we were always looking for these magical places that we were sure existed. And, um, you know, they just, we all knew about them and sometimes you could find them and sometimes you couldn't. I, am um, there's a, a piece in the book called We Could Never Find the Church, because there was always that, um, that you know, myth about the satanic church. There was always a satanic church somewhere in everyone's, you know, history <laughs> that grew up in areas like this. And uh, sometimes it was an actual building, but we had one where I grew up that nobody could actually figure out where it was. And um, so, you know, obviously that just became an urban legend around here. Um, so it was things like that, but yeah, the, the being out in nature, you know, it's just such a part and I spent so much time there when I was younger. So it, it's, it's certainly just going to come out of me when I'm thinking of these times and telling these stories. Yeah. I'm thinking about my own similar experiences and how it's like, it's interesting to me that that is both like a public space, but also a really private one. Mm -hmm. where things can be hidden easily and like I don't know it's just like yeah it's a place where like when I was young and lived near the woods like my friends and I would go and do quote-unquote spells in the woods but like we didn't know what we were doing right? <laughs> right and you feel like you're in this whole other place in time but you know you're just like a couple meters out of somebody's backyard you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was good enough that was good it worked yeah and then like later it became places where like you would maybe drink <laughs> yeah. not saying for sure I did that but you know <laughs> yeah, no, no, no of course not yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah so it's it's interesting it's like 
I guess because there aren't a lot of spaces that are available just for you at that age either. That it's like, right. that's kind of a place that can be yours. Well, I mean, it had to be because you have to, you were at someone's house or you were outside. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I feel bad, um, badly for, you know, younger people nowadays because I don't know how much space they have like that anymore. I mean, I guess, you know, if you live in the middle of nowhere, of course, but, you know, even the area that I grew up in is so developed now that I, you know, I look around and I'm like, I, half of the woods that I used to see, it's not even there anymore. Yeah, that's it's interesting. We have a changing relationship societally to outside. Mm-hmm. It's weird to think that that happens even just in a lifetime, you know, not yeah. even a full lifetime, just like the journey from childhood to adulthood. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's been the past 30 years, you know. Yeah, it's strange that it would change that quickly. Um, I think that the next one, Girls from the County, um, actually would tie in really nicely with this discussion. Did you want to move on to that one? Yeah, sure. Some girls from the county shouldn't be. It is not bright enough. Sorry, that was my cat. That's <laughs> okay. I'll try that again. They have to be part of everything. <laughs> I know she just woke up. I was hoping she'd stay asleep for this. But... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Some girls from the county shouldn't be. It is not bright enough, loud enough, high enough there to contain them. They are the ones. Ones who run to the cities, to deserts, to oceans, when they can no longer breathe. Some of them flourish in the wild, then pass into light, into sand, into ether. Even the ones who are left to die alone in cars, which is the price we pay for raising some girls in captivity. Thank you. Oh, that's so powerful. Um, There's such a vivid sense of tension in the poem. And like, some ambig- ambiguity, ambivalence, like mm-hmm. the girls from the county, they're seeking something much bigger than their lives and even themselves. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I wrote that very, for some specific people, um, you know, some of my dear friends who really could never make peace with being out here. When I say out here, we, you know, I live back in the county again after years of living in the city. Um, I, you know, I always wanted to travel, but, you know, I didn't really hate being from here. Um, I saw its problems and there were things that I didn't enjoy, but, you know, I, I never minded having a home base and, you know, being in my little woods. Um, but I had friends who this was, I mean, this was hell to them living here and I don't blame them. Um. And they just wanted to get away. They wanted to get out. They wanted to do something bigger. And, you know, some of them achieved it. And, you know, they're they're flourishing and they're happy and they've traveled and they've moved away. And some of them it didn't work out for at all. And they either came back defeated or they never came back. And, um, you know, I think I think it's it's easy to blame the things that happen to them here. But sometimes I feel like there's just things inside of us that, that drive us to different places. And, uh, you know, I have friends who had perfectly, you know, lovely upbringings and still just had to go, you know, they just had to be anywhere but here. Um, you know, so everybody's got their things inside of them. And, so I think that's kind of where I was coming from with that piece and, you know, and it's the you know title piece basically. So it's just, you know, we were all here and it landed different for all of us. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I come from a place that people either, yeah, they can't wait to leave or they're there forever and they never want to leave. <laughs> and there's not really much, ambivalence in there (laughs) yeah and that always frightened me a little bit because you know I I'm very close to my immediate family and they're here and um 
but also I, I have wanted to go everywhere since I was a little kid. All I've ever wanted to do was travel. And so I, I was fortunate enough to find a way to have to do both of those things, to keep my home base here, but to travel. So whenever I start getting claustrophobic and I start hating it here, you know, we can go, but we have a place to come back to. Um, and I, I feel like I'm one of the few of my group that was able to find that kind of balance because it was very extreme for everyone else. It was like never leaving, like didn't even want to leave your zip code or moving as far away as humanly possible. Yeah. It's interesting. I think that maybe for some people like hometowns just wound and they have to go away to heal it. And that can either be escape or it can be actual healing. I don't know. I think it can be both for some people. I know people who ran and ran and ran and never got better. And I know people who the change of scenery and the clean slate definitely aided them in their healing. So okay. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong. I don't think it's always running away. Yeah. I, I think sometimes some people are running towards something instead of running away from it. So It's interesting. It's like, this kind of concept of psychogeography where it's just like the way that place is formed in the mind and our relationship to place mm -hmm. is so different. It's so subjective. And also you have these shared experiences that you're drawing out in this collection. It's yeah. I think that, yeah, it's, it's so fortunate that you became a musician. <laughs> That's the perfect thing for someone who wants to travel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just, I mean, I don't know. I, I knew I would find something like yeah. I, I knew I wouldn't ever be able to sit completely still. So I'd have to make it work one way or another. It was that or truck driver. I mean, truck driver would have worked, too. Yeah, that's a good, important job. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen some photography from people that drive trucks. It's just amazing because they get to see all these areas that people don't normally see, right? Different yeah. times of day and such. It's yeah. pretty cool. Um, so, like you said, this is the title poem from the collection. Um, what about it do you think is kind of a defining influence on the rest of the poems? Well, I think kind of what we were just saying, like, I, I feel like it is, it's the summation of all of the different women that, you know, are a part of this. Um, you know, we're all in there, all, all of the different motivations and agendas that we had and the things that we needed, you know, we did, you know, did we need to get away? Did we need to heal? Did we need to stay put? Did we, you know, it's just everybody that I talk about in this book, there's a piece of them in this particular poem. So. Interesting. It, it's so evocative of different trajectories that people can take without necessarily being specific, right? You know, say like, well, Holly did such and such, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's speaking in a beautifully abstract way to those experiences. Thank and you. I, I needed to do that because I needed to protect people's, you know, privacy as well. And that was a huge, a huge part of doing this was making sure that I wasn't throwing anybody under the bus and I wasn't, you know, spilling secrets and things like that. So that's interesting because that's, you know, like attention that some memoir writers have too. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> am I naming them? <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, it's, yeah, I think that the, the choice of the language that you've used here is a different images and diction. Like it really, it gets the idea across and it makes it, universal in a way and I, I don't think that universality is necessarily you know like the best metric of what makes something good but when when it's really good it's really good you know yeah and I think I mean you I wanted this to be something that people could read and say oh my god I, I feel that you know yeah. and yeah it's not about pandering to the masses it's more about communication and you know, the, the more effectively you communicate and when you're talking about something that a lot of people understand, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a bigger thing. So I think that's, um, I really, really think that's what it's about. It's not about, it's definitely not about like trying to reach everyone. It's, 
it's just, you know, trying to communicate. Yeah, resonances of that restlessness and just, yeah, that reflection, I guess, and introspection. Yeah. Great. Um, do you want to move on to the Witch Elm Hollywood and other places where they went asking? Sure. I think that's a, a good one to incorporate because this is where I've sort of drawn in the other elements of um, some folklore and some true crime, um, you know, because it wasn't just about my friends and I. This is about a lot of people. So, When small town girls go to the city, some will be cut in half and left in vacant lots. When small town girls go out at night, some will be slit open and robbed of their organs. When small town girls run away, some will become nothing but a terrible famous Polaroid. When small town girls walk drunk in the woods, some will be folded up and left in a hollow tree. But that's the risk small town girls take when they go outside, when they go looking, when they go asking, they go asking. Thank you. Oh, that ending is so chilly. Um, so the poem has an obvious connection to some famous murder victims, um, among them a girl named Bella who was found in a witch elm. Mm -hmm. um, what drove you to want to explore true crime in some of these poems? And you this know, one specifically. Being stuck home during a pandemic and having all the streaming services, just watch a lot of true crime. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much out there. <laughs> right, there is some truth to that. There is some truth to that, I will say. But no, that's always been a, um, you know, I, I was I was just thinking about this the other day and you know there's such an um exploitative you know element to watching true crime but i really think that there's a um i think for for women and you know for femme people especially there is um almost i think watching true crime is almost a control mechanism i think when you expose yourself to those things you find yourself in the back of your head thinking, okay, if I see how it went down, if I see what happened, then I can make sure that never happens to me. Um, and, you know, that, that may or may not be true, but I think that it's a, I think it's always to make it make sense in our head, to make the danger out there and the, the especially the danger against against women and and trans women and you know every every femme non-binary person that isn't walking around you know with this uh sort of inherent safety you know um with the, you know a privilege of safety we think about this stuff all the time and i think watching those documentaries and and kind of the fascination with that really is a part of of the way that we process it and the way that we cope with it. So it becomes like a realization of the stuff that we have running through the back of our head. Um, would you yeah. say like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I don't, I'm, I don't think that's true for every person. I mean, there are some people who, you know, the idea of, of uh, exposing themselves to, you know, that kind of horror is is just makes it worse you know and i mean that's why horror is not a genre that everyone loves but i think the people that do love horror very much use it um or at least you know some people that love horror use it almost as a catharsis and as a way to say if i have accepted this and i see it and i look at it and i process it and i think about it then it can't hurt me and you know while that may be true of fictional horror you know that's not the truth when it comes to crime when it comes to you know real life things but i think the mechanism in your brain is the same you know it's like if i'm looking at it i'm safe that's really interesting i'm always yeah i'm always interested in kind of what drives forward our curiosity and fascination with true crime I personally I have to be in a very specific mood for it and I don't even know exactly how to describe that mood but um 
generally I, I prefer to read about it than to watch it because if I watch a documentary that has footage like it'll just be seared into my brain forever right right and that is that is very much true for a lot of people like some people can't get it out of their heads um so yeah that, that's not a um you know a, a statement that i i say that i think is true for everyone by any means but i know for myself and for a lot of the people a lot of my friends a lot of people in my life that watch that kind of stuff like we're all on that same page with it it's like oh i want to see what happened to her make yeah. sure that that doesn't happen to me. Yeah, there's a lot of empathy with victims. I know two different people, actually, that fall asleep to true crime. <laughs> They're just like, I'm going to spend time with my dead people. They both say that, and they don't even know each other, and it's so bizarre. But, yeah. you know, I think that there's a real, um, yeah, a, a, a naming and a story that would maybe otherwise be forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, and it isn't to trivialize it at all. I mean, you know, we all kind of make the jokes about our, you know, our murder shows, but it's not, you know, it, there is no part of me that, you know, enjoys it in that sort of, you know, like trivialized way. Like, I don't feel that way at all. I think it's just, I think there is a natural um, fascination with that kind of stuff for some people as it is, but it isn't because I want to see it glorified. It's right. just, it's just so hard to not, um, I mean, it's so hard to not look and to not be curious. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that there's a real difference between that kind of engagement with true crime and also like the people who glorify serial killers. Like you can usually tell the difference. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've done so much reading on serial killers and things like that. And, and there is not a single part of me that thinks, Oh, I wish I could be friends with that man. <laughs> I, I think a lot of them would be poor company, even though like there's, you know, testimony that they were friendly and whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have no desire. I definitely, you know, I'm not proud of any of them. I just, you know, it's just, <laughs> no. like, it's, you know, just that, the psychology it's like i want to see how they i want to know how they tick i want to know how those you know someone's you know who was uh you know uh, who's captive i want to know how that was and you know that's the thing you can't there's a there's a unknown mystery there because you know if you are a victim um a fatal victim of you know a, a killer or anything like that you are we can't ever know what that is. We can't ever know it. Um, and I think it's almost impossible to not think about that sometimes and to wonder, you know, certainly not wanting it to happen. Like you don't want to know what it's like, but you know, it is, you know, that it just kind of sits there and, and it's so horrifying and also fascinating to try to think about what goes through your head in that moment. And again, not yeah. in any sort of, you know, fun way. Like it's not, it's not a game to me at all. So I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that by what I'm saying right now. I don't want it to come across that way. I think it's just um, human nature and it's psychology to just really um, wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it really maybe plunges into some of our deepest fears of other people and just like makes us realize how many interactions we have in a day that go well maybe like oh right I don't know. yeah right. like that subjectivity of other people not realizing like some of these serial killers were just so odd like their subjectivity was so unknowable like you were saying yeah yeah. And, you know, when you've had, if you've ever had any kind of close call in your life, and I have, so I think that that lends to it as well. You know, I think there are some people, like you said, that just can't fathom wanting to even think about that stuff. And I get that. And I respect that. But um, I think, I think for some of us, you know, when we have been in situations where, um, you know, one wrong choice would have you know we we wouldn't be sitting here right now so yeah 
I think a lot of women, a lot of us can relate to that, you know, like it's, I don't, I don't know any women who've never been in a close call situation, which is insane. (laughs) Yes, it it truly is. It's, it's yeah, and I think there's a real, like, there's a real sense of being delicate with the subject matter in this poem, which I appreciate (laughs) because it's like, there's some very visceral imagery, obviously, but it's it's being handled with empathy. Uh, I I hope so. I'm I'm glad that comes across because there is, you know, I I have so much of that, and I'm you know I'm more. It's almost like the wording and the phrasing is a bit clinical, but at the same time, there is such a sadness behind it. Hmm. Yeah, it gives you an initial sense of shock, but then it continues to humanize them, and that actually kind of leads into my next question, which is like, um, at the end of the poem, it's it's giving them agency. It's saying they went asking, mm-hmm. um, but you don't really say what they were asking. Do you want to talk about that choice at all? Yeah, so I, I did that intentionally because I almost wanted you to question whether or not I was, um, you know, saying something really um really terrible or really sarcastic or what I wanted the motivation to be a little bit brutal and a little bit rough. But at the end of the day, they, you know, all of them, they were asking what if I had a different life, they were all out there, you know, moving away, like trying to do something different with their lives. And I kind of, you know, when you're reading it, I want you to to pause for a moment and think like, am I saying that they went asking for it or were they out there just asking for, to see other things, to see a different kind of life, to, you know, just going about what they thought they needed to do to learn and to see new things. So um, I felt like that sort of phrasing would punch that a little harder you know you could you might actually wonder for a second what my purpose was yeah absolutely and it's like it's it's tied again to geography right because you're you're saying the witch elm and hollywood and Mm -hmm. other places like um these women are being placed in areas and also in situations and the fact that they are asking and that you know the poem is saying yeah is is interrogating the reader in that way it's 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 confrontational but i think it's respectfully so to the victims yeah i think um i mean and i think you know i've said where i stand with it like what my intent was but i think when you're reading it it's important to you know question like how did you perceive it and however that was, you know, think about it. Think about why you read it that way. Um, you know, not in any sort of judgmental way, but I think it's always important to, um, you know, use things like that to kind of dig up your own, um, you know, just your own thought process. See where your head goes right away, you know, like the first thing your head goes to. Yeah, I love when poems do that. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. be like think about what it's doing and what it's saying to me. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, okay, so the last one you're going to read is drag. Mm-hmm. Go ahead whenever you're ready. You and your friend took me down to the brook where no one could hear us and no one could look. Well, the water will bite and the water will sting. But if I shut my eyes, I won't feel a thing. I will be reborn, baptized in blood, with the rush of the water through my mouth and my head. And the families will talk and the pastor will wonder what happened the day the brook took me under. But you and your friend made a pact to stay silent. If I'd just given in, if I'd just been compliant. Now you've both become men with wives and with wealth. Your children are darling. You all have your health. But don't get me wrong, I'm doing just fine. Like this spring, I'm eternal. This river is mine. The legend's been told, but there's no need to worry. You've covered your eyes and spun your own story. 
and your children still play on the banks, skipping stones. They swim in my body, float over my bones. But you'll feel what I felt when I dragged them all under to my watery hell, like when we were younger. Thank you so much. Oh, that's spooky. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is one of your poems that kind of blends the natural and supernatural together that creates like harmony and tension. Um, it's so interesting to me, like a lot of these poems deal with different structures, like we've talked about, like just societally and um, different kind of like overlaps and bridges and tensions between them. Um, the idea of spirituality is present in these as well. And, you know, in, in this one, um, you see society, religion, and the pastor, but the poetic voice is reborn in the water. Would you like to speak to that tension a little? Um, so I just, you know, I think I was, when I was writing that, I, I wanted that to be a piece that could apply to any time period at all, like any you know, that, that could have been about something that happened 20 years ago. It could have been something that happened 200 years ago. Um, and I, I am not a religious person um, growing up in areas like this. You know, religion is such a part of these communities. So I really felt that it was necessary to include, you know, that little element of it. Like, you know, here are these people who have done this horrible thing, but, you know, they have their families and they're going to church and everything's fine, you know, and the community's like, oh, that's so sad. What happened to that poor woman? Um, you know, without ever like digging any deeper and seeing what really, you know, happened. So um, the idea of this victim becoming something so much greater, like, you know, could be, you know, coming back as this, as this vengeful entity this water spirit um you know she embodies the you know the river now and um you know it's it's really such a i mean it's folklore in and of itself even though in my head when i was writing it i was writing it to be a little more modern than that but then when i was finished i was like no this applies to any time so um i just love the idea of when something terrible happens to a woman, she can come back and be something even greater. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it definitely reads like that. Like it reads um, almost like an urban legend, like you're saying, like um, something that people would talk about in their hometowns, like this tragedy that happened and then like this yeah, lore that would rise up around it. Yeah. And live on that way. I think of, you know, um, uh, characters like Jenny Greenteeth, you know, it's like there's, there's all the uh, um, um, ideas of these water spirits that, you know, drown little children and do all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, are they just evil or, you know, are they like this for a reason, like a really good reason? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that, that relates to my last question, which is just like, um, there's a real brutality and beauty to the revenge in this poem, and um, yeah, why why do you think it's important to write revenge? Well, in the same way that you know we inflict a lot of the um, the you know true crime and and the horror of it on ourselves, I think the revenge is the catharsis. I think that's how you know for for all of the times that that couldn't happen in real life. We have these. We have the ability to invent these scenarios um, where we can play it out in a way that you know we might have wished it could have gone. Um, you know, it feels so often there is no justice, and you know, you just like I'm so my heart is so heavy watching terrible things happen in the world, and just no justice is done. You know people just get away with doing the worst things and being the absolute worst. And I think the more that that happens and the heavier my heart becomes with that, as it does for most people, um, writing 
revenge stories really you know it's just it's a coping mechanism like there has to be something yeah that's a really beautiful way of putting it i yeah it's um it gives us a better resolution to things that don't end up being resolved usually even right right that's yeah. nice and you know i mean justice is one thing but you know when you can't get it the next thing that comes i think is is vengeance you know there's a two very different things and i think that it's you know i think that lack of i think that injustice really really fosters and fans the flame of of the vengeance so yeah i think that's where a lot of us are in our lives right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, you see that come up in a lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, that that was all I had um, to ask you about. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? Um, I don't know. I feel, I feel like that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, no, thank you so much for um, for having me on here. I really enjoy you know, I always love talking about horror and, um, you know, I, I guess I like talking about myself, but <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I, I really appreciate that you're doing something that's so specific to horror poetry. That's really, I think that's really cool. And I think like you were saying earlier, that could go a long way into helping, um, open that doorway for people, you know, to hear, um, the conversations about it, not just to look at it and say, Oh, I don't know about poetry, but to listen to, to people talk about it I think is a really good thing really valuable oh thank you so much and I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this like this collection um it's it sounds amazing I'm so happy I was able to read some of the poems already and uh yeah I'll definitely grab a copy soon thank you yeah it comes out on Thursday um through raw dog screaming press and uh yeah on my social media I'll be um like I said on Sunday night I'm doing an online book launch where I'll be doing some readings and there's a little interview and then I'll be doing some Q and a, like some live question and answers with people. So if anybody um, wants to tune in to that, that would be cool. Great. Well, this will actually air after that, but I will make sure okay. to advertise that. <laughs> yes. I forgot what that, day it was. I'm yeah, sorry. that's okay. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I will mention it <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, great. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Okay, well, thank you very much. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.